Good morning. I'm Katherine Watson, and this is the Life After 50 show. And boy, have I got a great show for you today. We're going to be talking with Greg Shelley. He is an ombudsman here in the greater Houston area, and he is going to talk to us about what's going on in our nursing homes and assisted living homes with the coronavirus pandemic. So it's going to be a really helpful show, a really good show. Uh, please join in and give us your questions. Put them in the comments below. We'll bring them up. We'll get Greg to answer as many questions as he can. Uh, we want to help. That's what this program is all about. So um, we're here today, uh, compliments of Find Houston Senior Care. Find Houston Senior Care is a web directory. Uh, that gives you lots of information. We have over 500 blogs on the website. We have videos. All of the past Life After 50 shows are hosted on the website, as well as you can connect with people and find the information and help you need. We publish a care home list uh, weekly to help you find residential care homes if you need one for someone you love. We also have the top 20 home care agency list to help you narrow down that search so it's not so overwhelming. And then last but not least, we have the top 20 professional list. So enough about that. I'm here to bring in Greg and I'm gonna bring him up to the screen now. We're gonna talk to Greg. And Greg, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, Greg, as I said before, is one of our ombudsmen with the hair and, and we've put up on the screen the ombudsman program Harris County uh, uh, link and phone number. But in the comments below, we will also add another link for other counties. So if you're not in Harris County, don't worry. We've got the information for you. It was just kind of a long link, wasn't it, Greg? Oh, yeah. Quite yeah. a bit of information. So we put it, we're going to put it there so you can go there. Um, Greg, tell us a little bit about yourself and what exactly is an ombudsman? Thanks, Catherine. So good to be with you this morning and good to see you actually from a distance. Mm -hmm. um, I'm uh, Greg Shelley with the Harris County Long-Term Care Ombudsman Program. We are housed at the, over with the good folks at Sizzik School of Nursing at UT Health. And uh, we're part of a collaboration with the local area agency on aging. And our primary mission is to advocate on behalf of the folks who live in nursing homes and licensed assisted living facilities. And uh, really what falls into that venue is pretty much anything related to long-term care. Uh, we spend a lot of time doing uh, information and assistance, also known as just general consultations with folks. Um, all of those conversations are confidential, and uh, one of the nice things about speaking to an ombudsman is that we can't take any action unless the person we're talking to wants us to. Mm -hmm. uh, so we spend a lot of time in dealing with informed consent, and by that, from an ombudsman perspective, we talk about all of your options and potential outcomes, and then you decide which direction you want us to go. And fortunately, I guess in terms of workload, uh, more often than not, people are just empowered with the information that they get and they choose to deal with things themselves. 
very often they ask for our assistance in, in trying to work through a variety of problems. Yes, yes, I imagine uh, your your services are so needed and so welcome. And I know that you and your volunteers just bring a ray of hope and comfort to the people that you serve. Um, and, and it's comforting to the families to know that there's somebody else that's out there advocating for them. But we're in a unique situation right now, Greg, with the COVID-19 pandemic that's hit uh, all over the country, not just in Harris County. Um, and people are struggling with what to do. The families can't visit their loved ones in the facilities. We're seeing pictures of them waving their hands outside windows and driving by and doing FaceTime and all of these things. But um, they used to be able to count on you to go and visit when they could. And now you're not able to go into the facilities either. Right. Yeah. You know, as ombudsman, we're pretty heartbroken about not uh, making the visits currently. Um, and then all of us having to adapt to technology so we can continue to do what we do in terms of advocacy over the phone, doing WebEx meetings, doing FaceTime with residents, which is one of my favorite things, uh, especially when they have access to uh, iPhones or iPads or uh, cameras on the computers. The uh, um, we're still doing uh, pretty much everything else except for being able to make visits. And the hardest part about that is the realization that, you know, it's another set of eyes and ears that aren't in the building. Mm -hmm. um, that being said, we're, we've got to do our part to help prevent the spread of COVID-19, especially Absolutely. when it comes to that already vulnerable population. Yeah, And I'll say that now we've been four weeks out this Friday since the last time we made visits here uh, locally. Um, and it's starting to look more and more like the efforts that the local, state and county officials made um, in terms of restricting visitation uh, were an important factor in at least mitigating it. Um, mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as you see the news pouring in across the country, the article I read this morning showed that somewhere in the range of 3,600 deaths from folks who live in nursing homes have been reported. And only two weeks ago, uh, that number was somewhere around 300. So, um, wow. wow, that's a lot. It's a tragic yeah. situation for so many people. And it's, uh, it's so tough for the families not to be able to be in person. Um, and we would uh, encourage, like you were mentioning, as much of that as can be uh, accomplished and uh, as much of that as the residents themselves can tolerate um, any kind of uh, face face to face contact, whether it be mm -hmm. through the windows, if if the facilities are permitting it, uh, the parades, anything that can add levity uh, in a time where the residents are even more isolated than they are normally. Right, right. Yeah, residents were are used to being able to uh, do a lots of activities in their communities. That was one of the big reasons for going into, say, assisted the large assisted living facilities was we had lots of activities, right? Right. And now um, bingo has changed. They're doing it from the hallway, yeah. which is better than nothing, but it's not quite the same. And um, uh, my my family have passed away. My my mother-in-law and mother have both passed away before the coronavirus hit. And I, I just can't imagine what 
I would be feeling right now if they were still with us and in one of those facilities and I couldn't get in there and I couldn't assist um, and all of that. Uh, I also know that uh, the facilities are not allowing outside caregivers to come in. And, um, and that's kind of a concern because there are some residents that could not get the amount of care that they needed from the facility before when it was doing before coronavirus hit. And right. now they're not able to have that extra person coming in to help assist. What do you say to families like that is what can they do? Is there anything they can do? Well, I think it's important to stay in contact with the particular facility management and administration to understand exactly what they're doing and how they're changing things in order to meet the needs of everyone in the building, which is ultimately the responsibility. Um, mm -hmm. And I know that the mandate uh, typically for the nursing homes in terms of what CMS has issued is essential healthcare workers only. And mm -hmm. um, so in some cases, there are uh, hospice caregivers still going in. Um, mm -hmm. And of course, uh, in what they call compassionate visits or end of life type visits mm -hmm. are still being permitted on case by case by the different facilities, fortunately. Yeah, that's good. That's really great. Um, yeah, that's that's one of the, I think, most difficult things about this disease is um, the fact that families can't connect when you most want to connect at that end of life and uh, when somebody is struggling. So that's really hard. Greg, um, how are you handling complaints? If you have uh, a resident that is really upset about something that's happening, how are you handling those things? We're still uh, addressing them as we always have. It's just that we're limited now by um, mostly telephone conversations and email, you name it, however best to communicate with the facility staff to help folks work through problems. Um, we're also uh, keeping in pretty regular contact with the local regulatory folks from Health and Human Services. And uh, it is a bit of a struggle because it's so hard to convey the necessary empathy and understanding um, through a phone or through the email. Um, so I had the good fortune of having a FaceTime conversation for about an hour with one of the residents on Monday. Um, and uh, I think for many of the ombudsmen and probably even family members, when they can do that, it ends up being more therapeutic for me than probably for them. But uh, they, the folks that I've spoken to so far have been uh, incredibly understanding and uh, appreciative of the efforts to keep them safe. Um, and hopefully, well, I mean, one thing for sure that I need to mention is that the the visitation restrictions uh, have been obviously very important in mitigating the spread of this. And yes, um, I agree. I mean, it has to be done. There's there's no way around it. It just it stinks, Greg. Yes. It just stinks. I mean, like Diane Porter uh, is listening. Hi, Diane. Thanks for being on the show. She says very frustrating. It is. It's very frustrating. It's um, it's scary. It's frustrating. And it just plain stinks. <laughs> I just don't know what else to say about it. So um, I'm glad that you're able to at least get in there and um, and and have these conversations with a lot of the residents. And the FaceTime, I think, is so helpful because 
just seeing somebody's face, we communicate so much through our eyes, through our facial expressions and the tone of our voice. And to have all of that together really, I think, helps you to probably see a little bit better where they're at and them to be comforted by your calm presence and and that of the volunteers that you work with. And I know um, that you uh, put your volunteers through extensive training and um, and the ones that I've met just all have this just really calm presence. And I think that is comforting to families and to residents in these places. Yeah, I'm, I'm so fortunate to be able to be among the, so many uh, wonderful people in just the ombudsman ranks on a pretty regular basis. Um, uh, it's an incredible volunteer opportunity. And uh, I, I still sometimes have to pinch myself that I get to be one of the few professionals that get to do it. Um, here in Harris mm -hmm. County, we have seven staff members and uh, we have 105 licensed nursing homes and 295 licensed assisted living. Um, so thank goodness for the 60 some active volunteers that we have who generally make active rounds, but are still staying in touch with family and residents. Um, and a big part of what we get to do is really just be an ear in many circumstances. Mm -hmm. And lately that's been the shift. Um, the number one type of complaint that we're dealing with right now are concerns over the restricted visitation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the different issues with that really need to be discussed with each and every facility. And we encourage folks to have those conversations with them to understand what they're doing and more importantly, why they're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and anything that can really be done to, um, you know, help mitigate the possibility that COVID-19 gets into any of the buildings is helpful. But, you know, I'll transition there a little bit to point to one of the problems and one of the questions I think you have coming up there about um, healthcare providers are still coming into and leaving the buildings. I was getting ready to bring that up. Yes. And uh, of course, that means there's a chance that they could, uh, in fact, bring it into the building. And buildings are doing screening techniques, including checking temperatures. But as we've learned collectively, I believe that there is uh, asymptomatic spread of COVID-19. Mm -hmm. So folks could have it and be able to spread it and the screening itself would not stop it. Um, that's, that creates a, a problem that uh, uh, more uh, testing perhaps, uh, uh, knowing whether or not folks actually have it or have had it um, might be helpful. Um, and then of course, CMS and uh, Texas Health and Human Services have issued new directives um, on uh, care for individuals when there is someone in the facility that has a positive test result. We see a lot of newsworthy uh, buzz, I guess, talking about whether or not CMS, CMS is going to require facilities to report positive cases to families and residents. Um, Texas Health and Human Services here in our state has already uh, made that a requirement that they do have to at least notify uh, families and residents if there is a positive test result among staff or residents there. It's the problem with all of that, of course, is um, everybody's got to be really responsible with the information so that we don't cause panic. And the biggest part of 
the panic side is if facility individual facilities aren't being honest with their staff and their staff get very concerned about whether or not they're being told the truth, it leads to problems like we've already seen in some other states where majority or all of staff don't show up. And that that's a terrifying oh, that prospect. That is heartbreaking. That is just heartbreaking. Yeah, I saw that. I, I saw one in California that that happened. That was just, I, I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine that. Um, and they, really heartbreaking. You know, do do the um is a requirement in Texas that they have to tell the family member if their family member has it? Well, the only verbiage I've seen on that is that they're expected to one report it to local health authorities and health and human services, and secondly to notify the families and the residents in and the staff in the building. Uh, as soon as practicable. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, as far as being able to have a collective database of everybody who's got a positive case, uh, that's not in the works right now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm aware of a number of uh, facilities that uh, have a, at least one reported case, but sometimes the way I know that is from families themselves and, uh, and no other way, and that's confidential. Mm -hmm. Other facilities are demonstrating best practices. Some of the ones that reported recent cases actually created a website that's public facing to, mm -hmm. to talk about the number of cases and um, the status of things. And I think that's really helpful. And, uh, you know, as an advocate, I certainly push for as much transparency as I, can be yeah. afforded as yeah. long as you're keeping privacy in mind as well. Right, right, right. We don't have to share their their names with everybody, but right. we need to know what's really going on. Um, I, th I think that's so important. And I just saw Connie in here. Let's see what Connie has to say. Oh, she says, it's really good to know the ombudsman are still there to assist. Yes, it is good, Connie. Um, their work is so needed right now. Um, and she says that we have a volunteer training coming up. You want to tell us about that, Greg? Yeah, full disclosure, Connie was a very long-term uh, volunteer with us before <laughs> her uh, professional life got really busy again. But uh, Yeah, she's, and she's, she's amazing. Great advocate in general and uh, uh, tireless. Uh, I Just watching all she does and getting yeah. the word out and public health education makes me tired watching her she's, from afar. She's got bounds of energy. <laughs> she does. She did uh, point out that uh, we are, we've had a volunteer, new volunteer training uh, scheduled for Thursday, April 23rd for uh, since last year. Uh, mm -hmm. Those are generally in-person classroom trainings, but under the current circumstance, we're going to do our first ever WebEx. Uh, mm -hmm. So, if someone's interested in getting started with the training and uh, we all have our fingers crossed that we'll be able to get back to regular visits sometime in the near future. Um, and we'll just have a head start on getting a next, you know, next generation, next class of folks trained um, as certified ombudsman here. Uh, you can call the number there, 713-500-9931 and just let them know that you're interested in volunteering and uh, we'll do our best to get you into that class. Unfortunately, uh, it means you're going to have to be able to access WebEx uh, either through a computer or through the uh, cell phone app. And those are those are free. But uh, um, even those of us who had some knowledge with them before, you know, still still learning on this curve, getting used to it. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of people in that learning phase, Greg, and that's that's great. Um, uh, so I, I implore you. I know there's a lot of people right now that are out of work. They're looking. Maybe they they realize they're not going to go back. Maybe they're um, in their 60s and they say, "Hey, this is it. I'm going to go ahead and retire now." Um, but I want to keep doing something. I want to keep giving back to the to the community. I want to be active. I want to be involved. This may be a great, great opportunity for these people to make a real difference, a real difference. Yeah, um, I began my journey a little over 10 years ago, um, and I ran across a little snippet in the Chronicle about volunteering and uh I tell people now that if I had known ombudsman was a career choice, I'd been doing it my whole life. Uh, <laughs> but the volunteer experience itself was exceptional because it's one that once you get through the training, you have pretty full control over when you go to the facilities, you know, within reason during business hours, which day of the week you go. Um, and then other than uh, the nagging monthly report that we chase everyone down for, uh, mm -hmm. you, you don't have to have too much uh, oversight, except when you have questions and need help from your staff ombudsman. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think it's a, a just a really admirable program and I'm so glad that we have it. Um, I think I've I've known you for probably it probably wasn't that much longer after you had just joined the ombudsman program as a volunteer uh, when I connected with you and started finding out because I didn't even know what it was. Um, you know, it, it was new to me. I remember when my mother-in-law was in a um, nursing facility for rehab, seeing the big sign up about the ombudsman. And I remember her telling me that somebody had come and talked to her and asked her a lot of questions and listened to her and she really liked them. But I didn't really connect the dots. I didn't really know what it was all about. And uh, so I'm, I'm glad to know what it's about. I'm glad to be able to share this information with the people who follow my Find Houston Senior Care page and my website and uh, all of my social media, because uh, that's what I'm about is just trying to help people get the information. I always tell people I, I don't know, have I don't have all the answers, but I sure do know a lot of people that do. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know you. Thank you so much for giving this opportunity to get the word out. That's the biggest challenge. A lot of consumers aren't aware of us. Um, and uh, our, you know, I like to say, well, we're already paid for somewhere down the line because most of our funding comes from the Older Americans Act. And some of it's coming from the state legislature here in Texas so that we can cover more assisted living. But part of the service that we uh, do as well is just, I mean, primarily to inform consumers about options and choices and rights. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes the best time for folks to call is before they've even uh, had a need for long-term care, um, mm -hmm. because that's something that's unique to us is that uh, we've, we visit every one of the facilities under normal circumstances and are very familiar with, with them and, and try to help people, uh, you know, make a good fit for them in terms of understanding what's available according to income and uh, insurance, all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put up Sherry Kay is in the audience. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for showing up. She says, do you think the facilities with the COVID-19 cases other than those in the newspaper will be disclosed? 
It's a, it's a great question. Um, be pure speculation for me. I think um, I would encourage it. I would like for more folks to uh, be able to be aware of it uh, as it's happening, um, partly because folks are still um, moving into long-term care as we speak. And mm -hmm. I know as a consumer, uh, it would certainly be relevant information to me to know whether or not a building had a positive case or not. Not that that means I wouldn't necessarily want to go there, but I would certainly want to have conversations with the management about what they're doing to mitigate it and contain it. Yeah. I would imagine if they have somebody with an active case, they are, are they still allowed to take any applicants, any new residents? Well, it depends on the setup that they have. Some of the buildings are, uh, you know, structurally able to, to better quarantine a single wing uh, versus the others, but it's all, that's all going to be pretty individual. Um, and uh, hopefully other than the few reported in the news uh, most recently, I, I, you know, the one that there's one in Texas city with a major outbreak and that's right. in Galveston County. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the biggest one that's been reported in the news here locally was Laporte and they mm -hmm. were showing something in the range of 34 cases. Um, right. Those are major outbreaks. Um, and uh, most of the others that I've heard of so far have been single cases or, mm -hmm. uh, and so hopefully and fingers crossed um, that uh, many of these facilities are, are able to contain it. And at very least, uh, mitigate the spread of it within their building once they find out that there's a positive case. Yeah. What, what about the smaller, the residential care homes, the small yeah. assisted living homes? Talk a little bit about that, Greg. That's a, you know, that's something that a lot of the consumers don't realize as an option um, that you'll have some of these residential care homes that are just like in any other neighborhood and they'll have as few as four residents living there. Mm -hmm. um, and so very often the staff, uh, to resident ratio is pretty desirable. Um, mm -hmm. They, but they're off. They're an amazing spectrum of uh, cost. Uh, you've got ones that uh, take people on sliding scales and will provide medication administration, three meals a day and a roof over your head for in the range of 700 to a thousand dollars a month. Uh, and then you've got others as high as you can dream. And, uh, mm -hmm depending on the level of care you need. But a lot of people overlook those when they're looking for uh, memory care. Mm -hmm. um, and they don't realize that the type B residential ones um, have capability to provide more individualized care in many cases. Um, and so they're, you know, as much as the financial spectrum, social economic spectrum of them is the, there's quite a variety in how they're handling things. Mm -hmm. But I'd say one of the more encouraging aspects is uh, so far the reported cases in assisted living have been significantly lower than that in the nursing home environment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that has to do with the structure um, mm -hmm. of the buildings themselves. So in a lot of these uh, residential care and assisted living situations, uh, many folks have private rooms, uh, mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, an added ability to kind of do their own social distancing, if you will. Right. Um, that folks in shared rooms might not have. Uh, yeah. So it doesn't mean that if you have a shared room, you know, you're at a greater risk. But if right. if a person goes into a shared room and has it, there's a 
you know, you got two people instead of one. Right, exactly. And I think one of the benefits of the small places, at least to me, um, is the fact that there's not as many people coming and going. You have a smaller number of care staff um, and staff altogether that are coming in and going from that facility on a day-to-day -day basis than a large um, facility that maybe takes care of uh, 40 or 50 people. Uh, they're going to have a much bigger staff and a much um, uh, more people coming and going in the facility. Yeah, that's a plus in some of these cases. Some of these facilities, folks don't uh, see many visitors at all. Um, so I guess in the, the current world that we're living in, uh, that's an added opportunity to at least uh, mitigate, if not completely contain. Yeah, yeah. Well, Greg, I, um, I can't think of anything else. Is there anything else you want to tell people before we go? I just encourage folks, if they have any questions that are related to long-term care, keep in mind that, that all of our conversations are confidential and we cannot take any action unless the individuals want us to. We, we get anonymous concerns all the time. Um, and uh, even with an anonymous concern, we give them you know options for how to resolve the issue and let them guide the way. If ultimately they decide they don't want us to take any action, then we, we're bound not to take any action or share it with folks. So the, mm -hmm. for me, that's one of the greatest pleasures of being on Besman because I really enjoy getting to share the journey. And uh, sometimes people are thanking us for being able to listen to the situation and walk them through some options and show them loads of empathy, uh, whether mm -hmm. it's uh, facility staff, residents or family. Um, and uh you know, help work through things together. And, People you know, folks will say hurt. thanks a lot for that. And sometimes I feel like I haven't done anything. Um, and truthfully, some other times, there's times when it's such a, a tough situation that it can, it can wear on you uh, mm -hmm. emotionally and physically as well. Yeah. But happy to share it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we all want to be heard. Everybody wants to be heard and feel like somebody is listening to them, whether you can solve what they think needs to be solved or not. Um, just knowing that somebody actually heard them and paid attention uh, speaks volumes sometimes. Yeah. Um, and in com conflict mitigation, it's a very important rule right there, Catherine, that that if folks will take the time to explain why and show that respect, uh, very often the, the conflict is uh, muted. Uh, yeah. But unfortunately, too many of us throw up roadblocks to information and um, it just tends to escalate things from there. Right, right. Well, Greg, again, thank you so much for being on the Life After 50 show. We really appreciate having you here. Again, everybody, that number is 713-500-9931. And the link is on on the top of the page. We may drop some other links in the comments below that will be helpful to you. So watch that area. If you are watching this on YouTube, I will be putting that information in later today for you as well. And if you're listening later on the podcast, I'm going to turn this into a podcast also, Greg, for those people who just like to listen. Um, <laughs> and so uh, you will have that information as well in the show notes. So thanks again, Greg. Have a great day. And um, everybody, stay safe, stay well, and stay in your house if you can. <laughs> if you're thanks, not Catherine. essential, stay put. 
Thank uh, you so much. Thank you. Thank you. And we will be back next week. Not sure who we're going to have on, but we'll have a good guest, I'm sure. So tune in to the Life After 50 show. Have a great day.